The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 647 for November 4th, 2018. Apple releases iOS 12.1 and announces new iPads. OnePlus announces the 6T and will sell it at T-Mobile. And a more useful Gmail comes to iOS. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, welcome to uh, show 647. A lot of Apple news this week. Uh, before we get into it, uh, Joey and I together once again uh, in snowy St. Paul, Minnesota this morning, Joey. That's right. I don't love the snow, but uh, it is certainly part of the Minnesota experience. It just is a little too early. But anyway, we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, and let's jump in with Apple's second media event of the fall. Happened on Tuesday. They announced some new hardware alongside the update of iOS to version 12.1. So in the software side, Apple releasing that 12.1 update with a lot of new features. All the devices uh, will be able to conduct now group FaceTime calls between uh, up to two and 32 participants. Group FaceTime chats are able to then intelligently and prioritize uh, the active speaker in the group sessions. They're also integrated with iMessage and there's now a silent ringer and encrypted end-to-end conversations for privacy. The system software also introduces 70 new emoji that are more representative of people's individual appearances. The iPhone 10s, 10s Max, and 10R also gain real-time depth control when shooting portrait photos. Finally, the newer iPhones gain access to the built-in dual SIM functionality, allowing others to add service from a second carrier. So uh, let's talk about this a little bit. So, um, you know, we, we, we actually differ from the very beginning of how the update happens. So I always just go in uh, to uh, settings, then grab the software update and have it done uh, over the air. And in fact, I did that again this time. Um, sometimes I, I wait a little bit. Uh, this was not one of those times. I really wanted this update. Um, and in fact, I was actually in my car and tethered to my in-car Wi-Fi and updating <laughs> in my car as I was driving from one place to another so that when I got there, it would be done. Um, and so it was, uh, I did it that way. And I know you, you don't do those software updates anymore like that. Not like, I do occasionally, but uh, this time I actually use the iTunes and the full IPSW file. I don't know. I just feel like it works a little bit better uh, for the update. I don't know. Do, in that process, though, you're um, you have to do a backup uh, then as well, or nope. no? It just it just goes right over the top. It does. And any uh, entering passwords or anything like that after it's installed? No, you just have to enter your uh, device code. Okay. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like uh, you know like it would be anything special, but at the, you're putting all like the compiled code together on, on the device versus just patching the the code. Correct. Exactly. It's the full. It's like three gigabytes, this file that you're installing. Yeah, it might be for those that uh, have issues with the, the the patching updates that you do directly on the device, this would be a good way to uh, to get around that. And so yeah, is, the process is pretty easy. You just go to, to where to get it. Basically, I go to a, a site called iClarified. They have the a consolidated set of links to Apple directly for the images for the software. So I just grab whichever one's appropriate for my devices. And then you uh, save that into your downloads folder. You then go to iTunes and click uh, you connect the device with the uh, lightning cable and then hit the option key as you click on upgrade. And then it gives you a file choose prompt. And then you choose that particular file and then it'll install it 
Yeah, that seems pretty simple. Um, you know, but again, for most people, that's it, like that process isn't you know inherent. Uh, or it's, no, it's not, and it's not something that's it's it's not obvious because in iTunes, when you click update, it goes and gets it itself, the uh, the iTunes itself. But then it does an upgrade process a little differently than this particular. Uh, way of doing it. It's still basically a patch when it's doing, being done that way, right? I'm not sure exactly yeah. what it's doing. I think it's the full OS. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, either way, uh, updates, uh, you can do it in multiple ways. Um, let's talk a little bit about the actual software itself. So um, again, installed it right away on Tuesday. Um, you know, my, my initial um, kind of five day in, six day in uh, overview of it is that it, it feels more reliable. It feels like there are um, a lot of uh, bugs that have been squashed, of course, because that's what you would expect to happen with something like this. Uh, and, and ultimately, just kind of a better experience uh, than version 12. And this is, you know, it's it's always so rough when we get the, these new um, OSs. And, you know, we talk about, you know, quite a bit not upgrading when it comes out with when the first you know version of the OS comes up. But wait for that, that dot one release, because that's where the stability kind of it really increases. Right. And we've got, uh, you know, this iOS 12 has, has been different than probably the last four or five releases of iOS and it's stability wise being just much, much better. Yeah. It, but it's still like there's just still been enough that you kind of you just every once in a while something happens. And I'm like, man, this is really frustrating because it's back at version 11 dot whatever. It was really functioning fine and quite well. Um, I will tell you, I still have issues, um, two specific things. Um, one is with iMessage and the watch. And so what's happening for me is, um, it, it seems like when I reboot one or the other, um, the, the, the watch is switching over any messages I send to text messages. And so, and, and it's not, it's not apparent until I look at the phone again, or, um, I just happen to see on the watch that it's the color green instead of the color blue. But like when a message comes in, and you hit the you know the button to respond with Siri. Sometimes it, it's not apparent that it's going as a text message, and a reboot of the watch then kind of gets it back synced up. But it's a weird thing, and I thought that well, I was hoping that twelve point one would address. Have you seen anything like that? Uh, no, I have not. But I don't use it that frequently, and but I have not seen it send as text message. So the the other thing, and I, I think th- these are related issues um, that kind of come back to the same thing, which is I'm still having issues with Wi-Fi calling on the iPad where. I will, it'll get activated and I'll be able to use it and it will, it will work. And then it's like, it loses the sync. Uh, and it, it just then goes back to the, the, you know, calls on iPhone. And so, um, which is not the end of the world, but when I notice it is like, if I'm, it don't have the, the phone with me and I have, um, you know, where upstairs or somewhere else that's not within Bluetooth range, um, which does happen. Um, and, and then I, I, the phone will the phone calls will come through on my watch, but then they won't come through on the iPad, and it's just a weird thing. And I'm wondering if it's related to the Digit service. Um, I, I had issues with this when Digits first came out, and um, but I couldn't at the time get Wi-Fi calling to work at all, and so that has some I guess seemingly been resolved. But it's it, it's a frustrating thing because Wi-Fi calling used to be very reliable on the iPad, and it's just not anymore. Right, and every time I've been uh, every time I've rebooted my iPad lately, it prompts me for that emergency address 
thing yeah. every time. So there's something up with it, and uh, it's not working quite right. That so that that that's the prompt that tells me that I've got a problem. Like when I whenever I see that, I I realize that there's it's not going to be synced anymore. Um, so it, it's again, I'm not sure if it's related, but I um, but these both of these issues. Once one is resolved, and oh, and I'll tell you the, the the other way that I can get the uh, without rebooting the watch to get it to start sending uh, as iMessages again is to go to the phone and turn off iMessage and turn it back on, and then it reactivates the iMessage service, and then everything kind of falls back in sync. But I, I think there's there on the t- on the T-Mobile side, there's something that's just not quite right with this, um, and it's it's a little frustrating. Um, and you know, and the only reason I have the digital service now is because of the watch, uh, because I've got the LTE watch, which I'm not even really using. And um, I was just looked it up before the show. In the last 30 days, I've used all of uh, like a meg and a half of of data uh, on the watch. And as I pointed out, that was texting with you over Siri on Friday on the airplane when I realized that I had turned off the phone and the watch was still on and I was still getting messages. Right. And of course, that amount of data, it's hard to justify the 10 or $15 a month they charge for that service. Yeah. $5 a, uh, a megabyte seems a little bit uh, like not a good deal. Right? Not really. Yeah. Uh, but uh, either way, um, 12.1 is out. Uh, it seems to be functioning better. And, uh, you know, on we go. Uh, so while the dual SIM functionality is one of the the big updates here uh, with 12.1. None of the U.S. carriers are yet supporting this feature. So if you check on Apple's website, it will still show that AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon will add support later this year. AT&T says it's still working with Apple to add the feature. T-Mobile says it's finalizing the software. Verizon has confirmed that eSIM, uh, the eSIM causes coverage issues. We'll come back to that. Uh, Sprint has publicly said uh, it will support the dual SIM and eSIM functionality on the newer iPhones, but has not yet said when that might be. So to the Verizon coverage issues, the carrier on Tuesday said that it will not support the technology uh, yet due to a software bug that degrades service. So um, the new phones that support it, um, of course, have one physical SIM and one eSIM. Dual SIM phones work by designating a primary SIM for voice, text, and data, and the secondary SIM for handling voice and messaging through that second subscription. Uh, most dual SIM phones also allow you to switch the SIM, which SIM is designated as the primary and secondary. However, with the new iPhones, a third option exists that uses the primary SIM for iMessage and FaceTime and the secondary for data. And while T-Mobile and AT&T's systems are able to handle the SIM switching without issues, apparently uh, Verizon, is um, th- their physical SIM has to be designated as the secondary account or when it's designated as the secondary account, it drops uh, the data that's used uh, on that SIM down to CDMA. Uh, so obviously very slow um, and not as widely available. You've got you know not as many towers that have CDMA on them as you do with uh, LTE. And also uh, kind of a bigger issue, you, you don't have full support. You don't support SMS over CDMA. Uh, Verizon said they're working on it uh, and uh, they said wireless customers will be able to activate Verizon service on eSIMs as soon as they're confident that they're going to be able to have a great experience. Uh, but uh, if you're a Verizon customer and you activate another carrier service on your iPhone's eSIM, your Verizon service will be degraded as a result of this configuration. So yeah, it's a, that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, and it's like it's, so it's interesting is. Of course, this is talking about is the secondary SIM, and um, which is exactly the scenario I was hoping to to, to use it for. Uh, and so at this point, you know, I've got T-Mobile as the primary line. Uh, I've got a Verizon SIM. I don't actively use it, um, and so but I was interested in putting it into the phone. 
Um, and I was actually thinking about paying off the phone in order to get to use the service. But in this scenario, until this thing gets resolved, uh, there's there's no, and well, for, frankly, you can't do anything with it at this point. But once it gets resolved, um, you know, then I've got to, I've got to work work it through. But uh, Verizon said that in, until it uh, supports LTE services, it will not be activating the service uh, for any eSIM right now. So there's um, kind of two things happening here. So the dual SIM support requires, of course, an eSIM to be activated. And so that's what they're saying. We're not going to do that yet. So, um, you know, at this point, I, I can't, I put the Verizon SIM in the iPhone and it, it just says, you know, unlocked or whatever the, the message is that comes up. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 one of the main feature uh, activations, it, we're now almost a week in here and we're still not able to use it. Right, because it's just, it's not that useful. It's not functioning right yet. So, um, you know, along with this update, though, uh, Apple has rolled out uh, and subsequently pulled another update. That was for the watch. Watch OS 5.1 uh, supposedly was bricking devices. Uh, the update was initially released alongside uh, the 12.1 update on Tuesday. And there, shortly thereafter, users were reporting their watches were getting stuck on the loading screen. So they pulled the update and they said, due to a small number of watch customers experiencing the issues while installing this, we've pulled the back the software update as a precaution. I don't think they've re-released it yet, have no, they? No, they have not. And uh I had looked at uh, nine to five Mac. They had the story. Uh, they had the story, and I warned you not to do yours because I know you were kind of busy updating your devices at that time. And it looks like it was basically the Series Four watches that were being bricked. The mm. previous models seemed to be okay, but the comments on nine to five, it was there was like fifty comments, and every single comment was somebody who's had their watch uh, bricked by this update. So it was. It's definitely, I think, more common than they let on to believe. Well, they always say some customers, but they don't, you know, they don't let you know how many. But when they say some, you know, it's more than one, <laughs> which probably means a lot. Uh, right. Because otherwise, they, if it was just a kind of one-off things, they wouldn't have dealt with it this way. And the bad thing about the watch is there's no way you as a user can recover it like you can with your phone or your iPad because there is no physical USB connection to reload the image onto it. No, that's right. In fact, Apple's saying if you ever have an issue with this, you need to contact Apple Care, but no action is required um, if the update was installed successfully. Um, so the the a watch was adding a number of new things. So new emoji, group FaceTime audio, and some new watch faces. And hopefully maybe a fix for your iMessage send as a text message. Actually, that's a really good point because it wouldn't... Uh, the 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 fix wouldn't come from a fix on the on the phone. It would come from the fix in the watch software. So um, yeah, we'll just be waiting and uh, hopefully getting a, a new version of this soon. Um, you know, th this is the exact reason not to update right away and to kind of wait and see what's happening in the world and if people are coming up with issues with this. Um, but yeah, I was really thankful for that message because I, of course, I, I don't carry a watch charger with me, and so I never necessarily, I never really spend the time to update. Um, uh, you know, my watches until kind of the night of, uh, you know, whenever I get, uh, when the, the update comes out. So it had, there was enough hours between when it came out and, and when I would have been home and able to do it that I wasn't able to get it. So, uh, anyway, uh, hopefully, uh, there's no one out there that had that issue, but, uh, you'll uh, be looking for a 5.1 update here, hopefully within, uh, the next couple of weeks, we will see. Apple has also pushed out a significant update to the Shortcuts application. This lets iOS device owners make more connections between Siri and Actions. So, for example, new shortcuts let people ask for the current weather or the weather forecast, easily set alarms and timers, convert between a variety of units and measurements, as well as viewing the most recent batch of imported photos. Apple says running shortcuts from HomePod via Siri will now automatically play back from the HomePod using AirPlay rather than nearby iOS devices. Shortcuts 
Notes 2.1 also includes bug fixes. The app is free to download from the iTunes App Store. Now, on the existing phone side, people who purchased an iPhone 8, 8 Plus, or uh, iPhone 10 may soon see their phone's performance slow with this new software. Owners uh, can use the system settings to now choose optimize speed or battery life. Uh, in December 2017, you'll remember Apple placed a priority on keeping the phone up and running over the speed of the device, later introducing software allowing customers to choose between the two. Apple said starting with iOS 12.1, the iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10 include this feature, but performance management may be less noticeable due to their more advanced hardware and software designs. Uh, Apple had initially implied that its 2017 phones would not need the software. Well, they wouldn't need it yet. And they did apply that. But, you know, they were designed and released before the whole controversy came out. So they've definitely, uh, this is not surprising that they had to release this for these devices. Uh, it's, they're a year old. Batteries are a year old. They're going to start to wear. You're going to start to see. Uh, I mean, they, they say you get, what, like a, a thousand charges out of the battery before you get down to the 80% mark. But, um, you know, if you're using your phone a lot, I mean, you're quickly over the 500 uh, cycle count, um, you know, within a year. And so you're going to start to see a degradation. Uh, and I, I, I don't know when the, the management comes in. Uh, and, and frankly, the issue uh, that they were solving for was, you know, early shutdowns where the battery wasn't able to, you know, keep up with the amount of processor power being demanded from it. Um, and so that was where it was coming. But I, I mean, maybe the eight, but the 10 and the eight plus have big enough batteries where you hopefully it would, wouldn't be an issue. Right. But I think they were under designing the batteries. And I think that was the problem. They it was literally design flaw in, the, in these devices by under doing the batteries for the size of the devices and the needs of the, the power that they need. Yeah, well, and I mean, I look at, you know, my devices, and I've been very fortunate where I have not seen that percentage start to drop. But I mean, I've, I've seen other people's, you know, eight pluses as an example. So these are just one year old devices, and they're already down to like the 93 94% range. And, you know, they, and that, that number is way overstated for uh, time because I had the uh, my iPhone SE and it was saying something like, 80 or 90%. It was probably like 85 or 90%, but the, the phone only made it halfway from what it would normally uh, make it to. So it was it was more like 50%. Yeah, and if a battery at 80% is still feels pretty good. Like you just say, oh, it doesn't feel great, but it's, it, you know, it's not lasting me a day and a half, but at least it's lasting me a day at this point. Um, and if you're only making it half a day, yeah, it's definitely not 80%. That is for sure. Uh, now, finally on the software side, Apple uh, releasing the public beta of iOS 12.1.1. Uh, you, if you're registered for the public beta, you can download it right away. It's mostly expected to fix bugs, but does include some additional feature adjustments. You can now uh, hide the sidebar uh, for in Apple News, if you wish. It also tweaks FaceTime controls a bit. Uh, the bar uh, at the bottom now offers buttons for switching cameras and meeting calls on all other actions now require swiping to access. Uh, Apple has provided this beta to developers. Uh, it's likely that 12.1.1 will remain in beta testing for about a month uh, before a final version is released. Now, moving on to hardware, Apple uh, announcing new computers and iPads on Tuesday. We'll, of course, focus on the iPads, of which there were two. Both sizes of iPads Pro uh, were updated. You've now got an 11-inch model and a 12.9-inch model with new edge-to-edge -edge designs, USB-C connectors, and the A12X uh, engine. Uh, the old 12.5 maintains the same casing, 
but now has the new 11-inch display. The 12.9 maintains the display size, but slims down the casing, making it smaller and more portable. Uh, the home button is now gone on both devices, meaning there's no Touch ID, and unlocking the device is now occurring through Face ID. You have to set it up in portrait orientation, but can then use it in portrait or landscaping, and even the Apple has optimized the hardware uh, to allow it to happen uh, literally in any direction that you hold it. Uh, it can also function when it's docked to a keyboard, and double clicking the space bar can wake up the iPad and trigger Face ID so you don't have to reach across to tap to wake the screen. The chip, not surprisingly, that A12X Bionic, uh, it's an eight-core CPU, seven-core GPU, and Apple claims it's faster than 92% of portable PCs and has the graphics prowess of an Xbox One S console. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the power they they packed into here. So the 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 the, the size of the devices uh, is kind of interesting because they shrunk down the, the physical case of the large iPad to about the size of a, a piece of paper now. Uh, where they kept the smaller iPad the same external dimensions. So it's definitely make it unwieldy. Uh, you've got your iPad Pro here sitting right next to me, the big one, and the thing is massive. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought you had a full laptop computer when you uh, uh, came in, and I realized, oh, no, that's just the iPad. And it's uh, definitely can use a, a bit of shaving down in the space. Yeah, this is this is if you ever had the 17 inch MacBook Pro in your hands, it was kind of a similar thing. Like it just it felt so ludicrous. And that's kind of what I feel like with this thing. And I've had it now for over a year and a half. I got it April 2017 and I still do not like carrying it around. It just still feels like a laptop. And um, every time I pick up, um, you know, one of my kids iPads, or I look at yours, and there's I've got, I've got slim iPad envy, because it's it's so nice and, and portable. But the question is, I mean, you're, you just got this iPad last year. So I'm guessing you're not ready for an update yet. I'm not. But um, I you know, it's tempting, of course, because uh, because of the increased size of the screen would be a little bit nice. It is the same weight as this model, which is the first thing I always look at to see what the weight is. Uh, they did do a couple of interesting uh, things on spec changes, of course. There's an improvement in speakers, which is one thing that I really uh, yep. would like to get because there's independent woofers and tweeters, I guess, within the four quad speakers that they have. So that uh, is very uh, attractive to me for an upgrade, uh, re for a reason for an upgrade. Um, however, they also got rid of the optic optical image stabilization on the rear camera. So no longer is the camera mounted on a uh, gyroscopic gimbal where it'll st uh, uh, stabilize your shots. And of course, for me, since I still have the iPhone SE, my iPad camera is actually the much better camera hmm. that I have with between the two devices. So if I'm actually trying to take a, a good picture, I use the iPad's camera. I, I just, as, as we're sitting here, I, I, you'd taken a picture of something um, and it was, uh, it, it hit me that you probably use the iPad for a lot of photography purposes. I wouldn't say a lot, but I definitely I try to remember that that's got the better camera in it. And it's totally noticeable when I take pictures, which one I'm, I'm using because the camera is drastically better. It's fascinating, right? Because it's got, yeah, it's better. Well, I wonder why they took out OIS. That doesn't necessarily make much sense. It, it does not at all. Maybe a space thing or something like that. Anyway, uh, it, it's, um, you know, having these these two new sizes is going to, uh, you know, force a decision to be made. Uh, up until this point, you either wanted a really big iPad or you wanted portability. Now you've got two relatively portable devices. It feels like the 12.9 the might actually be the device of choice for people because they can get the additional screen real estate. I know personally, I being, you know, comfortable with the size, 
um, of this of this device. I think I would uh, I, I would not comfortable, but I okay with it. I guess I'll just say having it shaved down, um, you know, on the margins on either side, um, you know, or on the bezels on either side would definitely make it uh, a, a more portable device, and I would enjoy it. And I think they uh, mentioned in the keynote that the volume wise. So if you take you know all three dimensions, uh, multiply them together, you get you know device volume. The new one is 25% less volume. So it's like carrying a third of that iPad. So it's drastically smaller. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is significant. I mean, that, that absolutely makes, you know, makes a difference when you're, uh, when you're out and about and you're carrying it around a lot, cause it is, it again is just very unwieldy. So, uh, along with the new iPads, uh, new accessories. So, uh, these devices are completely different shapes, uh, as the old ones, not only the different sizes, but they're different shapes. Uh, it actually looks like the original iPad in a little bit. Right. And it's got that iPhone five through, you know, five uh, S and S E style edges on it, which I actually really like that design. Wait, I still have an iPhone S. And of course, I really like the iPhone 5 design when that came out as well. Um, of course, it's reminiscent of the iPhone 4 and the 4S with the, the straight edges as well. And I think it's a really nice, unique, you know, visual design for the devices themselves. It helps, you know, kind of differentiate what you have as well. And that's, I mean, that part of it is that you're, it's, it's not just what the device can do functionally, but there's a design language to the hardware as well. And also, I think kind of holding these iPads with the, the way these edges are, they kind of dig into your hand after a while. And actually, I think the flatter edge... I think will actually be a little bit nicer to hold on to. Well, you've got the rounded back, but then it comes up to this bezel and that right on that hard, you know, hard edge and that piece of glass. You're absolutely right. Um, and I, I don't know how your your corners are doing, but I've got one that's got a ding in it, and um, and, and so now that the glass is actually sticking up, you know, it, it probably it's you know a tenth of a millimeter or something, but it's enough that it's you can actually feel the edge of the glass, and and hopefully uh, this new design will kind of create you know keep it kind of a little bit better intact if you happen to bump it or drop it. Right, and I do have a crack on my screen because I did drop it, so that uh, that's kind of a sharp it's kind of a sharp edge on the screen itself. It still works, so I haven't really done anything about it, and I looked into repairing and it's like five hundred dollars yeah. to repair the screen so i think uh you know i might as well just wait for the new ipad and just not even bother to fix this one because it is still working and functioning just great which is which is amazing that it can function with a cracked screen even so you're you know we've got these devices it's kind of like the computers when they upgraded to the the usb-c standard on the computers uh we've now got a new device uh with a new size and new accessories. So let's talk about them. Um, the Apple pencil, um, is new. It's got a matte finish. Um, it is grippier. They say, uh, it feels better. Uh, you can now tap on the side to switch modes. So like between drawing and an eraser zooming in, zooming out one side is even flattened. Uh, so you can store it magnetically on top of the iPad. Uh, the magnets are strong enough, uh, to edge you towards the kind of sweet spot as you put it on top of that device. So it'll sit there perfectly and, and strongly. Uh, it then charges when it's, uh, connected to the iPad pro. Um, it's on the side opposite of where the connector was. So, um, basically if you had the, the camera, uh, on the left side, it's then on the top. Um, the, uh, the, the charging then happens, uh, on the iPad. So, uh, you're, you're basically not having to deal with plugging it into the bottom of the iPad, which is nice. Um, the new smart connector is now on the back, um, and that powers the smart keyboard folio. Unlike the old keyboard can be adjusted, adjusted to two separate angles for either table or lap use. And of course, the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack is now gone off the iPad too. So that's definitely disappointing that they got rid of the headphone jack because the case has plenty of room for a headphone jack. This is just the decision to push people over to either buying dongles or to their, you know, uh, Bluetooth headphones or the AirPods is what this really kind of 
seems like. Because now you can't make the argument that, oh, we're, we're making a water resistant. Oh, we're trying to save space. That argument fails right there with the, uh, with the iPad. And especially the iPad Pro large size. Come on. There, there's plenty of room for a headphone jack. So now you understand this. But what uh, I want to go back to your the keyboard because you use the, the 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 Apple keyboard, and this new design is drastically different because this new one covers the entire back of the iPad and it connects to the back. But it also gives you different viewing angles when you're using the keyboard as well. So it's not uh, it's not the same at all, and it's a, it's a major upgrade for that uh, for that keyboard as well. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm kind of excited about that. Although it's now thirty dollars more, it's 199 versus 169, maybe even forty dollars. I don't remember if it's 169, 159. Um, the pencil is also thirty dollars more. That was 99. It's now 129. So one thing about the keyboard, I don't remember if it's backlit now. Did you see that? I don't think it is. It's right? Not, no. it, it should be. That's uh, one of the major features that was missing from this one, and I can't believe for the extra price they didn't even uh, include that feature. But now the pencil. Uh, keep in mind that the pencil is only good for the new two iPads and not for the previous iPads and vice versa. So the other pencil will not work. Uh, the new pencil will not work with the old iPads and the, the and vice. So you can't um, you have to make sure you get the right pencil for the device you have. So like the iPad 2018 that can use the pencil. Now you have to use the old Apple pencil, the original one. Yeah. The only way to sync it with the device is through uh, basically putting it down on the iPad itself. And that, that makes the connection between the two, uh, presumably still over Bluetooth. And so you'd say, well, how can we not figure this out? Well, because before you had, you had to plug it in to a lightning connection. The new iPad doesn't have a lightning port on it. So you can't, that's no way to get the old pencil. Well, there's a dongle for that, Mickey. Come on. Can't you use the dongle for that? Uh, I I can just see that. That, That's the answer, right? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta buy the $29 $29 dongle in order to pair the old pencil. The old pencil, yeah. I want to go to the uh, USB-C here um, about the headphone jack because the uh, the USB-C includes, um, uh, the Apple implementation they claim includes the analog audio output of USB-C. Unlike Lightning, which is digital only, USB-C has the option of having an analog output. So you can actually use the iPad's internal amplifiers and, uh, you know, DACs to have audio output come through USB-C. So you don't need a DAC within your USB-C adapter, which, of course, Apple does have a USB-C to headphone jack adapter uh, available, which would include, I think it's a digital one, but I'm not entirely sure if it is digital or analog. So how does that change things like, as an example for us, we podcast, right? So in order for me to have connected up something before through lightning, I had to have a microphone that had the audio conversion in it? or how did And, and how does that change now with USB-C if I want to plug into an iPad? You know, I don't think it would change that much because you still don't want to really do, if you're, especially if you're doing real-time monitoring, you don't really want to have a, a latency if you're trying to listen back real-time of what you're recording. Which you'll get with digital. Yes. Um, So that doesn't change that much. And all you're kind of doing is changing the location of your DAC. So, uh, you know, Apple's quality of DACs are pretty good. So you'd actually kind of want to use their, uh, use the DACs that are built into the Apple device. So using an analog out on the USB-C is actually uh, probably more preferable in many ways. And of course, it'll make the dongle cheaper, uh, especially third-party ones, because in that case, they'll probably only be a dollar or two uh, or, you know, maybe three or four dollars shipped. Yeah, not 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 nearly the thirty dollars that they all cost today. Um, and there's more to USB C as well. Um, you know, Apple says 
it wanted the connector to do more than what lightning was designed to do. Um, you know, meaning it can now drive up to, is it 4k or 5k displays? Now, uh, in the keynote, they said 5K displays, but on the Apple's website, and I was just actually going to pull that up to see if they have fixed it, it said 4K display right. output on the iPad, which, of course, is amazing uh, in comparison, because before we could only do uh, 1080 over the uh, over the lightning output. So one of the other things that was mentioned was connecting directly to higher-end photography, video, and audio gear, which um, I, I do understand what they're saying with that, and then also thinking... Was there, I mean, were, were there really major limitations with lightning? Were we not able to get between, you know, the lightning to USB adapters? Were, was this a big problem that people were facing? Not that I know of, but maybe it was a little too slow for some of the high-end cameras. Because, you know, of course, you know, 4K video, but the data rate is just insane on how much data it can use. It's true. So uh, you would say, oh, well, this is great now because it's an actual I.O. port like on a computer. So you could plug in external storage devices. N no, not happening. They said that's not uh, not available yet. Uh, but uh, since uh, you, you can't, uh, they are now offering storage on iPads up to one terabyte, which is insanity when you think about that, an iPad with a terabyte of storage. It's a lot. And also I read that they are including six gigs of RAM in the terabyte models, whereas all the others have four gigabytes of RAM. And I don't know why that would be. Uh, well, I'd say they never talk about the RAM, uh, but presumably you're going to be asking a lot more of this device, um, which, you know, kind of should be a, a, a flag if you're looking to get one that you know, if you're going to be doing a lot of heavy stuff on this thing, you know, upgrade and get the terabyte so that you can get that additional uh, that additional RAM. Right, because that'll make a big difference on the device, especially its longevity as well, because uh, it'll run much better in the future if you have that extra two gigs. So it's definitely if you're yeah, if you are thinking about that, you know, lean towards the the terabyte. Yeah, the uh, pricing for the 11 inch device starts at eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars for the 12.9 inch, and goes up from there. Uh, I think the highest end model is at eighteen hundred. So I think so. Yeah. Seventeen ninety nine. Yeah. So you're paying a, a very uh, you know large premium if you are going with uh, kind of all in here. I mean, you're talking well into laptop territory, of course, uh, and then of course with the optional LTE networking that adds another uh, almost two hundred dollars as well. Uh, no gold option for the new iPads. Uh, Apple keeping the previous generation 10.5 around. So if you wanted to uh, get something uh, for a little bit less money, you can still do that. That starts at 649 and uh, with up to 512 gigs of storage and optional LTE on that one as well. And that one does still come in gold. Right. And that is a nice uh, color option. I am disappointed they don't have the gold option for the new iPads because that's totally what I would get if I was going to get an iPad uh, because I ordered the black one this time and I just don't like it. Yeah, and I, I don't care at all, but uh, I do appreciate having, um, you know, with the new phone, I, I kind of am enjoying having a different color after having years because I just, a different color. It's silver, but it's at least not black. Uh, so it is, it's a little bit different and that's enough to uh, to make it seem interesting uh, in the very least. So uh, new, uh, new iPads, new, you know, lots of decisions have to be made. Um, we won't go into the hardware, other hardware that they announced, but uh, point being, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there was a, a lot that happened uh, this week. And if you're an Apple fan, um, you could be dropping a lot of money or have dropped a lot of money in the last couple of days. Right, because the new Macs were uh, quite uh, tempting to the the Mac mini finally got an update, which I've been waiting for because I have a Mac mini on my TV in the living room. And I've, it's a 2010 model. So it's getting pretty darn slow right now. It's uh, stuck in high Sierra now because yep. that's the last supported uh, OS for that one, but it's amazing it got it made it this far. I mean, that's really quite 
uh, stunning that they've updated the OS this whole time. But it is getting kind of putsy now, um, and it is uh, getting close to time for an upgrade for that. So they finally released that thing. Um, uh, and it also includes USB-C ports and a bunch of other things. But I wanted to go back to USB-C, which, uh, you know, briefly discussed this, that it's shocking that Apple went to USB-C because, you know, Lightning is their connector. They make money on every every connector that third parties buy. And of course, they have the license for MiFi. Uh, I kind of think this is going to lead us down a path where probably in a couple of years, we will see USB-C on the phones themselves, which of course is basically another huge change for everybody having to, uh, you know, migrate away from Lightning again and go to USB-C. But of course, it's amazing for accessories and amazing for intercompatibility and amazing for just handiness because, you know, even for example, the new iPads can charge your iPhone now because USB-C supports uh, power in both directions, up to 100 watts you can do through a USB-C cord. So that's that's actually very interesting. So it's and it's probably more than just the phone, right? I mean, you can literally plug in anything, and it would charge mm-hmm. if uh, if you have the appropriate cable. How do you how do you make that determination of which way the power should go? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm thinking about like in the future, you're probably going to have a similar you know function on the phone, or maybe not because it's the phone. But um, I don't. Is it is it this coming year? Probably not. It's probably we're not going to see in whatever comes after the iPhone 10s and well, maybe it would be because it'll be a new it, it you know it'll be now the new iPhone 11 right or the yeah, or maybe. whatever it may be because maybe they will drop it this next year it, um it, it's tough to say it's it is a bit frustrating um for as I feel like kind of ha- having now getting into this groove of streamline streamlined iPad iPhone you know charging and now to have the disparate you know uh, connections is is a difficult thing. Although for somebody that's on the other side of it saying, well, I've got a Mac and now an iPad that can charge over that, that feels a little bit better. It is because now your chargers are all the same. You've got, you know, Mac chargers and we've got, and of course, you know, we've got fast chargers for our, uh, for our iPads, uh, which use USB-C. So now those can be used for whatever device you want. So it, it, you know, they've, they've started down this path of USB-C now. And I, I do think we will see it on the phones eventually, even though lightning is really nice. Yeah, I, well, and, and the other thing that and I just kind of hits me is that this is, um, once this change is made, we're probably looking at, um, it's, it's probably a decade or something with this connection. I mean, you think about all the things you still buy that have, you know, mini USB on them. Uh, and that was probably, that was 2008, 2009, somewhere in that time, maybe even earlier. Um, and so, yeah, it's... It, <laughs> I thought this was going to last a lot longer for whatever reason. I And it was the iPhone 5 that it came out on, which was 2013. 2012. 2012. Um, yeah, and we're six years, I guess. I guess it's an okay run. I mean, I still have uh, lightning cables that I, you know, that I bought that I haven't even opened because I've just, you know, I bought a bunch and I've got a bunch. And so I'm thinking about like, these might never get any use, you know, I, but whatever. Um, yeah, we, we move on. This is just kind of the world uh, that it is. So um, I, I'm probably not going to be doing any upgrades anytime soon. Um, it's again, just, you know, not far enough into the cycle. Don't feel like I've gotten the value out of this iPad yet. Uh, but, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, as we move into the, the next couple of months, we'll kind of see how things shake out and whatnot. Right. Cause I don't know if they'll update this iPad next year. I had, this may be an 18 month, you know, an 18 month run again. Cause this, the, the current iPad pro, well, the the, the 10.5 was announced in the summer of 2017. So I've had it over a year. So it's more like a year and a half almost that I've had this this one. Um, so I, it'll probably be another year and a half before they announce another one. 
So I may just wait for a refurb to come up on Apple's site because after a few months, they will start showing up as refurb. So I'll, I'll think about it then. Yeah, that's true. It's it's always the the struggle here with the upgrades because then you got to figure out what to do with the old one and do you sell it or do you, do you trade it in? Do you give it to, to a friend or a family member or whatever it is? I mean, there's, yeah, oh, we, <laughs> you, you could just keep buying this stuff all the time and just piles of uh, stuff lining uh, lining your, your, your house, I suppose, right? Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, we've got some other news this week. AT&T beginning a promotion uh, that allows AT&T prepaid, custo- prepaid customers, that is, to save up to 30% off their bill. Subscribers to the $65 or $85 unlimited plans can get a $20 discount on the cost of their monthly service, dropping the fees to $45 and $65 for a single line, respectively. So the $45 plan includes unlimited high-speed data with SD video streaming, while the $65 plan adds unlimited talk and text in Mexico, 10 gigs of mobile hotspot, and HD video streaming. New customers will be able to take advantage of more discounts. So for example, customers can get two lines of unlimited service for $80 with more lines earning deeper discounts. This requires the activation of two new lines, auto pay and enrolling in a multi-line account. Taxes and fees not included. And AT&T says the promotion is available through January 10th of 2019. In device news, AT&T and Verizon on Monday releasing uh, launch and pricing details for the Red Hydrogen 1. So starting this past Friday, November 2nd, carriers will sell the phone, which AT&T has priced at $43.17 per month for 30 months. On the AT&T Next plan, that's a total of $1,295. Verizon's going to charge you $53.95 for 24 months for that same $12.95. The Hydrogen One has a 3D holographic screen and can capture 3D photos and video. OnePlus on Monday announcing its flagship phone for the second half of the year. This is the OnePlus 6T. The phone is significant uh, in its upgrade. It improves the 6.41-inch screen uh, by reducing the size of the notch. So the display now has a teardrop-shaped cutout at the top rather than a saddle-shaped notch. The Super AMOLED panel is protected by Gorilla Glass 6. Uh, It's one of the first phone makers to adopt the -the under-the-glass fingerprint reader, and it can now detect fingerprints through the display, allowing OnePlus to create a more seamless device. OnePlus says the technology is fast enough and secure enough for everyday unlocking and mobile payments. It's powered by a Snapdragon 845 processor at 2.8 gigahertz, has Adreno 680 GPU with either 6 or 8 gigs of RAM and either 128 or 256 gigs of storage. It includes a 3700 milliamp hour battery and supports OnePlus's Dash Charge rapid charging technology. The dual camera system on the rear features a 20 megapixel Sony IMX 51 sensor at f1.7 and a 16 megapixel sony imx 376k sensor with ois and eis that can capture portrait images and slow motion at up to 480 frames per second the 6t supports cat 16 lte and 42 different global lte bands with 4x4 mimo and five channel carrier aggregation the phone runs oneplus's oxygen os and is based on android 9 pi OnePlus created its own swiping gestures for controlling the UI that are simpler to master than those from Google. Uh, the OnePlus 6T goes on sale uh, this past week, November 1st, 549 uh, in both Mirror Black and Midnight Black. Now, on the distribution side, OnePlus announced that T-Mobile will be the first official carrier partner in the U.S., agreeing to sell the 6T starting November 1st. OnePlus co-founder Pete Lau said the device will be available at over 5,000 T-Mobile stores. Prior to this week, OnePlus devices were only available online and via pop-up stores. 
Now, on the software side, OnePlus said the 6T will ship with a new tool called Nightscape Mode. The tool uses the principles of HDR photography to capture and blend several exposures. The resulting images should be brighter, clearer, and have less noise. Low-light photography has been sped up in Nightscape, allowing phones to focus and capture images in less than two seconds. OnePlus has also made Nightscape available to the OnePlus 6 through a software update. The Nokia 7.1, announced by HMD Global earlier this month, is now available for purchase from select online retailers. The Nokia 7.1 is a premium mid-range phone with a 5.84-inch pure display, Snapdragon 636 processor, and 4 gigs of RAM with 64 gigs of storage. It includes the embedded 3060 milliamp hour battery supporting rapid charging via USB-C and still has a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. The device runs the Android 1 version of Android 8 Oreo and costs $300. ZTE is taking its first cautious steps in staging a comeback in the U.S. market with two entry-level phones that can run on Sprint, Verizon, and GSM networks. The Blade Max View and Blade Max 2S both cost under $200 and offer big screens and big batteries. They take out some of the features but include 6-inch displays at full HD plus resolution. They have dual-band Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4.2, USB-C, memory card support, 4,000 mAh batteries, and basic GSM and LTE for AT&T and T-Mobile, as well as fingerprint readers and a relatively clean version of Android 7 Nougat. Both phones are available unlocked. The Blade Max View is $199. The Blade Max 2S, $179. They can be purchased from ZTE's website, as well as B&H and Newegg. Verizon on Tuesday announcing the Jetpack MiFi 8800L. This is a mobile hotspot that uses the most advanced LTE technologies to deliver speeds at up to one gigabit per second. Verizon says the 8800L is the first CAT 18 LTE hotspot. It supports two, three, and four channel carrier aggregation, 4x4 MIMO, and LTE LAA to enable the gigabit speeds. The 8800L, built by Ensigo, includes business-grade security such as IT admin controls, VPN, guest networking options, and anti-hacking features. The battery provides 24 hours of connectivity, charges rapidly, and can recharge the batteries of phones or tablets when necessary. Finally, the 8800L has a 2.4-inch color touchscreen for managing passwords, settings, and usage. The Insego Jetpack MiFi 8800L costs $200 to purchase outright, or $100 with a two-year agreement, available directly from verizon.com. In software news, Google on Tuesday made Gmail more useful on iOS devices. The latest version of Gmail's mobile email app now allows users to view more than a single account at a time. Previously, users needed to manually switch from one account to another. Now they can opt to blend their inboxes into a single view or universal inbox. Google says multiple accounts uh, can be a combination of both work and personal, G Suite, non-G Suite, and even IMAP email. The new all inboxes view shows all emails in a single list. Google says that the emails themselves are not shared between the accounts. The new version of Gmail is free to download from the iTunes App Store. This is actually a big deal. I mean, it was nice that you could log into multiple accounts, but you know, I, I know a lot of people were using other services, whether it was the built-in mail application or services like Outlook, because you you couldn't integrate like this before. Right, and of course, personally, I hate having my mailboxes integrated because I just, for some reason, I like to know which one's my work account, which one's my personal account, and uh, I even like having in separate apps because for my personal email, I still use the Apple Mail app, 
And for work, I use the Outlook app now. So now it's really differentiated. And, and I am the exact opposite. I, I love having the single stream of everything all right there. And I just kind of, the way that I work through, I don't have email, my personal email or the cell phone junkie email loaded up on the browser most of the time. And so for me, it's just a much easier process because I just triage right on the phone or really on the iPad mostly. Um, and it just kind of, I, I don't know, it just has become it's my default. And so I don't think I'll switch from Outlook as a result of this, but it is good to know that if uh, I ever happen to find myself in a situation where maybe I was with an employer that was using Google services, then this would be a, a really good way to go with that. But you'd lose out on some of the other stuff for what you gain with this, like calendar integration, uh, different you know data storage integrations and stuff like that, um, and or other types of things. So uh, definitely an improvement, but maybe not still uh, right for everybody. Well, Waze recently partnering with more music services so people can access and listen to their favorite content while navigating. Waze has partnered with Spotify since last year and just announced the upgrading upgrade to supporting services such as Pandora, Deezer, iHeartRadio, NPR One, Scribed, Stitcher, and TuneIn for music news and podcasts. Waze says support for these new services is rolling out over time. Beta uh, testers can take them for a test drive right away, but Waze won't finish integrating all eight services into both the Android and iOS Waze apps until the end of the year. I did, you know, don't use Waze, but for me, this uh, is another nice update for, you know, those that are, you know, using it to navigate and, um, you know, this, this whole process of switching back and forth between your music app and your navigation app is, is, uh, you know, annoying and dangerous, frankly. It is. And of course, having the built-in controls is a good thing to have for that. But of course, on the flip side, it does seem kind of weird. Uh, like why, like what, why do you need it? Can't you just, you know, uh, use the built-in player? Yeah, I, and, and again, this is, for me, it's, it's if you don't have a head unit that has the integration with CarPlay or Android Auto, and, and so, um, which, again, that makes it even easier, but this is a, you know, you, you load up the navigation, and then you just go, and you, you hit play, and, and it works just fine, but that's, uh, um, uh, it is, I, I think, a nice update. Uh, also, this week, Flickr announcing significant changes. Remember Flickr, the photo service? I haven't thought about this in years, but so they, they will be making changes impacting uh, those that store large numbers of photos with them. Uh, people who opt for the free version will now be limited to just a thousand photos of any size. They used to offer a terabyte of free storage. They've done that for a number of years. Um, but those that have more than a thousand photos uh, have up until January 8th, so just a couple of months, uh, to download their images. After that, uh, those over the thousand limit will become inaccessible. I only ever use Flickr, and I've used it for years and years for uh, like Craigslist ads for cars when I'm selling cars and stuff. That's the only time I ever used Flickr, and uh, I, I, I remember got an email recently from them because they, they a different company bought them out or something and uh I, I got an email from them like oh Flickr, i remember them so i clicked on it to close the account out because they said they were going to start sharing all the stuff so and then i'm like oh look at all those cars i sold uh, there's that's all the pictures that are on there that's funny yeah the um the, the, what what had happened was they were purchased by yahoo in 2017 sold to smug mug in april 2018 so that was the sale there is still a pro tier it's 50 dollars a month uh, but you gain access to ad-free uh, advanced statistics and support for 5K photos. Presumably, it's an unlimited amount of photos. You can also upload videos there as well. 
Um, and uh, it's you don't need a Yahoo account now to join Flickr, which is also a nice change. Uh, again, these uh, changes going into effect early 2019. So um, I mention it because I'm, I'm sure there are a few out there that are using the service uh, for storing of their photos as a backup. And uh, you have uh, just a couple months to figure that out. Questions and comments this week. First, a comment from Les. He says, regarding the Motorola T800. So uh, it if it has four VHF channels, it obviously uses the MURS, an unexploited and ignored FM addition to the CB rules from several years ago. Without the cellular explosion, it might have actually had brief popularity like FRS, uh, but it didn't. Uh, even Radio Shack didn't do much with it. But it does remind me of the technology Motorola developed for Nextel for local off-net communications on phones. Uh, but the phones were too expensive, and, and even the version uh, without a phone was about three hundred dollars or so. The mode was digital, not FM, and was one of the un- in one of the unlicensed bands, nine hundred megahertz or something such. Uh, the contacts uh, were digitally addressed, allowing many users. Uh, but something you cannot do with MURS, at least not with voice. So the interesting thing is here, I just looked up Wikipedia quick. It says uh, it's limited to two watts, so that's a pretty decent amount of power. Unlike FRS, which I think was limited to like. Uh, 500 three, yeah 300 or 500 yeah. i think yeah yeah so uh and it's if you recall from the conversation last week this is uh, the the radios there walkie talkies that you can connect up and then use them to do messaging over over phones so. and they're in the nice 151 megahertz spectrum so that is really that's you know prime fm territory right there yeah going back to you know the the pre-trunking days uh pre-digital days of, of radio that was um you know very close to the uh the vhf frequencies that were used by law enforcement ems and whatnot they were usually in the like the 154 155 megahertz range right and frs if i remember is like 460 460s. and of course only having 300 or 500 milliamps for that or milliwatts uh doesn't get you anywhere with that kind of frequency now if anyone who's ever used the frs radios i.e the ones that you buy from like a walmart to use and you know for car trips to talk car to car know that if one car goes over a hill you're kind of out of luck uh meanwhile vhf is uh, going to be able to travel miles and miles especially with two watts that's it's um obviously five watts would be better but uh, it, two watts is going to do pretty well for you especially if you're uh in a in an area and you just need to to communicate you get up uh and uh, don't have a lot of obstructions and you're going to be able to talk for quite a while which is interesting frs they upped it in 2017 to two watts okay wow so there you go uh but it, it, i'm sure what happened here was they just they they not as many people are using it anymore and so they said there wasn't going to be as as much you know congestion on these things and so it wasn't as big of a deal and you were right it was 500 milliwatts previously yeah it, it was it was not much I, I did remember that uh and you know the other thing is is you've got now these um what do they call them the dts tones uh which allow for uh multiple people on the same channels and you've got this additional coding uh that that keeps the uh, uh you know the conversation pretty clear right and it also makes it so whoever you're talking to you're the only one who's talking to it even though other people can hear your conversation you don't hear theirs because your radio won't open up and actually i had a motorola frs radios that did that and i used them for motorcycle communication uh with uh, with friends so that's what we'd used and you're you're on a trip and you're going over a hill and all of a sudden you just can't hear the other person talking anymore pretty much yeah uh anyway thank you very much less uh, for that comment and for uh, for opening up that, that piece of the conversation uh finally the uh the last uh, comment of the day comes from justin he says I-, I wrote in last week about picking up the t-mobile tourister sim for 30 dollars to test out t-mobile service especially because um, it had been called out that speed test did not count against that two gig cap 
However, that was incorrect. They do. Uh, Justin, what he did then subsequently sent a, a few screenshots of his, uh, his service um, that he was seeing, which is now throttled, and uh, showed me some speed tests that were only showing 0.1 megabit per second, uh, meaning it's uh, the 128 kilobit per second uh, limit uh, on the service. Uh, interestingly, though, you can, st- and I had no idea, uh, you can use the T-Mobile speed test servers and they are not throttled once you start doing speed tests on those. So if you choose a server that is a T-Mobile owned, even if your data has been throttled, you can still do speed tests at full speeds. What I don't know, and I don't know if this has been addressed or not, is whether or not that actually uses the data. It kind of sounds like it doesn't as a result of this, but um, so it still is is ridiculous that you have to choose a T-Mobile specific speed test server. It, it it's not though because how they they can't have a, a list of bazillion speed tests that are out there in the world. So they just have their own and that's the ones that don't count against you when you're doing your speed test. Uh, but it also, of course, and of course, to some extent, they game the system too. So they have, um, you know, the best results. And as you can see here, since the the ones that are within their network, uh, they, they optimize those. So they give you the fastest speed test results. So it makes it look like their service is better than maybe it is going out to, uh, to the internet. So I have actually been pretty impressed with the speeds of the new device, uh, the new iPhone, um, and it it is it's it's been impressive in certain uh, you know in certain areas and not impressive in others. Um, I believe we talked about it at one point. The um, you know the the new Intel chipsets not nearly as um, you know functional uh, in low service areas as others. Um, but uh, did a speed test yesterday um, when I was uh, you know just kind of in a in a in a neighborhood um, and it was actually at a Starbucks now that I think about it and was waiting for a cup of coffee 156 megabits per second. I don't think I ever saw that over cellular in you know uh, in my old uh, on my iPhone 10 or anything. So um, definitely, uh, you know, the, the the speed is coming and especially, you know, uh, 4G, uh, you know, as that kind of goes up and up, uh, what I have not seen is a good way to identify uh, whether or not you're using the different bands, you know, for T-Mobile, it's the 600 megahertz uh, bands. And uh, that's obviously a pretty nice, uh, you know, upgrade from a, from a coverage perspective for them. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty decent, uh, you know, it's, it, the speeds are getting pretty decent as we get these, these new devices. And so I do appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, just keep, keep in mind as you, you do your speed test that you're going to be sucking up a bunch of data. I was looking at the amount that I was using with those. And it was like, especially when the speeds get that fast, um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking hundreds of megabytes for every test and so you you know you do 20 speed tests and there goes your two gigs of data so uh it, it can certainly go very quickly well that's it for today uh, if you have any questions or comments we'd love to hear from you give us a call 650-999-0524 is the phone number or send us an email like les and justin did to questions at the cellphonejunkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, I'm happy to report the snow has stopped outside, so I will eventually be able to uh, leave here, although we'll, uh, would, would rather not. But either way, uh, it, uh, it's always fun to do these shows together. It's nice to, nice to be together. And you, you don't get to do it often, and uh, so it's always fun. Yeah, Mickey, and come back anytime. Of course. Well, thank you, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.